0: Welcome back to TN Robots. I'm your host Emily Stark.
1: And I'm also your host Stephen Hoover.
0: And unfortunately we lost the British accents that we acquired while spending time in England.
1: I'll get it back.
0: But that's one of the many topics that we wanted to cover today just as we talk about mostly why we haven't been podcasting for the last three months. Turns out Even though summer, I was told, was going to be a relaxed uh, relaxed period period with lots of productivity. I was going to get lots of research done. I did do those things. Well, not Not the relaxing relaxing part. (laughs)
1: part.
0: (laughs) There was a lot going on this summer, and we wanted to fill you guys in on some of the cool happenings at the Machine Perception and Cognitive Robotics Lab. One that I am most proud of because I put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. So we launched an introduction to deep learning short course, in conjunction with piloting our Scientist Exchange Program, which Stephen and I had the honor of being the MPCR members. So we're going to talk about all of that because they're pretty much all interconnected. But going chronologically, first there was the Short Course, which was an event that we designed to give its participants a comprehensive yet gentle introduction to deep learning. So it was designed for really anyone off the street who kind of knew what a computer was to be able to come in and by the end of the week have at least some familiarity with hot topics in deep learning today as a participant Stephen, would you say that we achieved some or any of those goals
1: the short course did a lot of what you're talking about
0: so uh, you weren't expecting this but a pop quiz what did you learn in the short course it's like that episode in spongebob what i learned in voting school is oh
1: yeah <laughs> uh, hopefully i can do this in less than 20 minutes or however long he spent in the exam room uh great question So it depends where you're starting. So what a convolution is and how convolutional neural networks formed, but going back to before that, what is a machine that can learn, what is gradient descent, and what is a perceptron? So there are some analogies between biological neurons and mechanical neurons or these artificial neural networks, which we started using later in the course during our hands-on sessions. So the main thing I learned is what's the difference between an artificial neural network and a real one how that translates to math, and then how can you update weights using back propagation.
0: I think that's probably the most concise yet accurate explanation of the short course I've heard. And we, we really did try to honor like, the biology and psychology side of where these models came from and then explain what the models do and how they do it. So
1: Yeah, I didn't expect the models to overlap in those fields as much as they did. They go back further than any of the textbooks I've read on deep learning.
0: And if you have no clue what a convolution is, that's okay because most people don't. I sure didn't a year ago or however long I've been in the lab, then the short course might be for you. So it's something that we had a lot of success in and based on some results that um, we have on our our Facebook and various sources, we found that the students really did seem to learn a lot and we got a lot of overwhelmingly positive feedback. So it's something that we're definitely going to continue for next summer. So if you're interested for that, you know, keep close tabs on the MPCR lab and see what we're up to. So what were your initial reactions to being in the short course with all of the participants?
1: Uh, I wasn't prepared to see the visiting faculty from other institutions and uh, researchers from other institutions. I'd been told that there were some international participants as well as some people from Carnegie Mellon and the National Institute on Standards and Technology, but I was pretty surprised at how they were going to apply what they were learning into their own work.
0: We had the honor of not only hosting our counterpart in the scientist exchange program, which we'll get to, but the short course that we built kind of as a result of making this connection and bringing this international student was to launch a short course basically for anyone. The way that we advertise it is if you kind of know what a computer is, then you have enough baseline knowledge to come to our short course. And we got those students, definitely. We had a lot of students who this is their first coding or research type endeavor but we also got people on the other end of the spectrum. So we had.
1: Computer science professors at Carnegie Mellon's. Uh, right,
0: yeah. He um, is kind of a prominent, helped start really the field of, of systems architecture as I understand it.
1: I did not know that.
0: I <laughs> so spoke with him for classmate. like an hour and a half. <laughs> wow. He was a lot of fun. He was a very interesting man to get to know and very personable and fun to just kind of be around. We had a really fun group, but in addition to him, we also had a faculty member from the National Autonomous University of Mexico in their chemistry lab, and she had had some kind of connection with FAU before, and that's how she got on some mailing list upon mailing list upon mailing list that forwarded our email with all of our information.
1: I did get a chance to run into Jared and the other affiliate of NIST,
0: Uh, uh, National
1: Institute on Standards and Technology. And those of you who actually have done deep learning work, you'll be familiar with the fact that they're responsible for the MNIST data set. If you're not, just know that we can now automate postal services because of them.
0: Yeah, and they were focusing a lot on actually data similar to to what Steve and I work on with their mass spec type data, as I understood it. So we had kind of some big names just in the uh, grown-up world that had people with careers and stuff. but
1: And on the opposite spectrum of that, we also had high school students.
0: We had children. <laughs> no, but what was really cool is that we had these people with established careers and have had very successful kind of research profiles and publications and whatnot, learning alongside local high school students. And some of the high school students actually had more coding experience than some of the undergraduate and graduate students. And
1: some of the people hoping to do their research on it.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> and some of the people organizing the course, which would be me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Probably, though, we have some really intelligent high school students. That's not to say that I'm not intelligent, but rather that they're pretty much superstars.
1: And then we also had graduate students, undergraduate students, and high school students ta the coding workshop during part of the course where they were actually teaching people how to run through some of the models that we were looking at.
0: So we had this really cool cross-section of people from all walks of life. I don't know any other short course that would boast having, you know, a prominent professor from Carnegie Mellon alongside a local high school student that was there on a scholarship. But that was something that we were really proud of and we didn't want there to be that disparity of, oh, you know, I can't talk to him because I'm just, you know, 16 and, and don't really know what's happening in my life versus, you know, someone who's beyond tenure track. We tried to make it a cohesive environment that anyone could talk to anyone because you never know what kind of collaborations or ideas are going to come out of those who have had, you know, 40 plus years of experience and those who are kind of just freshly coming into this with new perspectives. So we had, in addition to the short course, a lot of evening activities for networking and just getting to know each other.
1: So we had a dinner where a bunch of the participants would break up into small groups, and then get to know each other in those small groups because you're forced to, you know, converse with people. Uh, That was especially useful because I was able to learn a couple things from some physics students, as well as the beach day was quite fun, not only because I got to see one of our lab affiliates, Mr. Gruber, uh, grill, but because I was actually able to interact with some of the professors more and really get to know what their research was about and why they were trying to tackle the problems they were approaching.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, Mr. Gruber as well, because we we really can't talk about any of the things that we did this summer without acknowledging his participation in the lab and what he has made possible for us. So he helped fund our travel, which we'll talk about in a minute, which really was the, the way that we piloted the Scientist Exchange Program. Just without him, first off, nothing this summer would have happened. But then beyond that, this short course, we charged like a $250 fee for all students that were not previously affiliated with the NPCR lab and all faculty who were not from FAU. We chose $250 because there are some short courses out there, um, similar to this one, that would be like over $1,000 per head. So we we can't just give this away. That was made very clear. And also there were, you know, costs and expenses that we had to cover, like like covering, you know, the, the activities and preparing the materials and making sure everyone had all the... The hard copy information that they needed and whatnot. But we also knew, I was I was not so excited about charging students because my undergraduate was from a place that doesn't have a whole lot of wealth in the area. And so thinking about students from that walk of life or from that situation who would want to be a part of this, I didn't want to exclude them. So we sought after a handful of pri- private donations for individual scholarships.
1: And this was mostly to cover the cost affiliated with hosting such an event.
0: Oh yeah. We're not in this to make the profit. It, it was...
1: You don't choose academia for the profit. That's what I've been told. <laughs> it turns out that's
0: very much the case. But no, with without Mr. Gruber's contribution, there are about eight students that just would not have been able to attend this short course. Both local and students that had to travel from different states to come. So I do want to make sure that we have just a moment of appreciation for all the things that, that Mr. Ruben Gruber has done for us this past summer and just for everything in the life. So if you if you happen to bump into him on the street, I don't know why you would, but just shake his hand and say, you know, I think you're a pretty stand-up guy. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> so let's talk about what a scientific exchange program is, because I'm... Scientist. Scientist.
0: Yeah, I'm just making those words up. Okay, so.
1: so can we talk about what we mean by that?
0: So essentially this happened because one day I was sitting there trying to be really productive at my desk, but of course our lovely co-directors would I mean, come into the room that my desk is in we're just bouncing ideas off of each other, off the wall of anything that would stick or bounce. And I heard them say, we want to have an exchange program. We want to bring students in and, and teach them this stuff and mentor them and have an, a relationship with these students. And, you know, me being very optimistic and from Tennessee, I said, oh, like Austin P. where I'm from. Because I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to bring one of my friends over and they're going to learn deep learning. And they're like, yeah, or like. You know, another
1: country <laughs> yeah they were,
0: they were way beyond just like you know a few states up they were going at like Stanford or Princeton or Oxford or you know all of these these very elite universities all over the world they started listing and so I thought okay so maybe you know maybe Austin P won't have the first scientist exchange program but I'm still pretty dead set on involving my alma mater
1: and that still happened during the short course we had one student yes. from Austin P come over
0: yes we had a Recently graduated with her bachelor's going into their master's program um, that came down for the summer and is now hoping to incorporate deep learning into her master's thesis, which I think is fantastic.
1: She was a real pleasure to talk to and work through the code. We had some of the same problems, and we were both able to fix it.
0: On her evaluations, she told me this uh, after the fact. She said, I would have come in an hour earlier. So we started at 10 each day, and she says, I would have come in at 9 o'clock in the morning, which for a college kid to say that means something just to hear Will and Elon keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now that that is out in, in public, they can revel in the fact that people do want to hear them talk, and they do have something pretty cool to say. Back to the Scientist Exchange Program, there's are on all these ideas. They left the room, you know, and I didn't hear anything about it again um, until I was in Austria this past January at an international uh, short course for Robotical Faction and one of the graduate students that I had come to know in this very prominent robotical faction lab mentioned that he was going to be coming down to Miami for a conference later that summer and that I should go to this conference in Miami because it happens every two years and it rotates continents. So the fact that it was like a... With the uh,
1: exception of... Oh yeah, Iraq. I don't
0: think it goes to Antarctica. Right. I didn't confirm that. It might, but I think that one's still kind of... It's
1: below the operating temperatures of their sensors, which (laughs) is why I say that. I know Um, now.
0: So I said, oh, well, hey, you know, you should come check out my lab. And in my mind, I went back to that conversation I overheard about bringing students from other labs here. And so I went to to Will and Elon, you know, in the, uh, the next month or so. And I said, hey, do you want this to happen? Because it can happen. And they said, yes, we want this to happen. So I, I contacted that grad student and said, do you want to come and, and really stay and really learn deep learning? And he said, no. Okay.
1: What? I didn't hear this part of this story.
0: <laughs> so in their lab, um, it's an engineering lab, so they're really focused on the sensors and the sampling and the, the biomedical stuff, right? They don't really like the data science part. Data science is kind of what they do to pay the bills because otherwise the sensors, you know...
1: Don't do anything. Right. So They have this one poor... Poor, poor grad student.
0: Yeah, his name is Alfian, and I love him. So I'm emailing Akira, who's very much an engineer, and very... He does he hates data. And so I, I said, do you want Hate to
1: is not, like, an appropriate word. Mega loathe is probably <laughs> more appropriate. Uh,
0: I email him, and I say, hey, Akira... You know, because I'd gotten to know him at the course in Austria, and I said, do you want to stay after you're here in Miami for two weeks and learn deep learning? He said, no. And he says, but... Our one data guy in the lab would probably really like it and be able to actually understand what you're trying to tell him. Because if you'd talk to me, I would, my eyes would glaze over and I would be very confused for two weeks. And so with that, he said, let me mention this to Alfian. And he did. And he and Alfian had some talks. Alfian was also going to be coming to the Miami conference. So it worked out. We just kind of start putting it in motion that Alfian would come here for two weeks, and that's why we decided to have the short course, because we wanted to give him kind of a rigorous overview of deep learning in a very thoughtful and intentional way.
1: Can we explain what Alfian does for this lab?
0: Sure, go for it.
1: Uh, so Alfian is a data scientist. He doesn't just make data. He, he's given these piles and piles of numbers in the form of csv files and text files and he's told figure it out (laughs) and then he's also told hey you have a deadline and you have a phd to get and a bunch of other things and
0: i need my results in 36 hours
1: and i need my results in 36 (laughs) hours so he spends much of his time piling through the all of these files trying to figure out if he can find anything discriminatory about robotical faction and just chemical sensing in general
0: so we worked it out that that he would come here and we would kind of open his world you know he's he's doing some machine learning So he would come here and we would kind of introduce him to this topic and what type of power deep learning could unleash in his robotical faction data analysis. In exchange, uh, Stephen and I would go to England and we would take some samples that we had thought about trying to run, but then we realized that we didn't have any electronic noses. So we, we packed our bags and packed our samples and went through the fun process of shipping them.
1: If you guys are unfamiliar with UN regulations on shipping biohazardous substances... Good for you.
0: <laughs> so, so we got all those agreements worked out, and he got all of his paperwork, and we had our passports and our plane tickets, and that's, that's where we started this partnership. But in addition to him just coming, it was a little bit more than your standard collaboration because now we consider Alfian as kind of a, a joint member of MPCR. He's not one of the core research members, but the partnership came with the idea that at any point when he's trying to implement deep learning... He now has not only this bank of resources that we've given him in the curriculum for the short course, but he also has access, direct access, to myself and and Stephen, who he worked with uh, one-on-one for a long time this summer. But also, you know, now he knows the people in the lab who not only know this stuff, but are even developing this stuff and contributing to the deep learning literature and understanding of how these computational methods are going to help shape the future.
1: And he also has access to the hardware, which is not necessarily available everywhere.
0: Right. So if he shoots me a text message or, or an email saying, hey, you know, I've got this this data that is too big that I, I can't run just my regular random forests on... Do you mind if I use your GPU? Then because of this partnership, it would be a priority for us to make time in our our GPU circulation to know, you know, okay, so I'm not using my GPU on Tuesday night through Thursday morning, so that's when I'm gonna run his um his network. And in addition, while they don't have a whole lot of GPUs over there, they do have a whole lot of electronic noses. And so that's kind of the trade-off is now we're sharing both our knowledge and our resources about deep learning and the hardware that we have to be able to implement deep learning with their lab. And they have shared with us, which is not a cheap endeavor, their machines and their time and, and have kind of worked us into the cycle with our samples.
1: So can we explain what happened when Alfian was here? So did you boot camp him? Did, was he running at eight in the morning, like lifting oh no. out GPUs? And oh, gosh, then...
0: no. We made it to the beach one day and that was, he hadn't seen the Atlantic
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: So, I mean, he did when he was in Miami briefly, but not, you know. Yeah. So he came in, and the other part of it was that we hosted him. Because he was here for two weeks, every day he came to campus, and the first week was a short course, so that was pretty much booked up and very structured. And then the second week was him going through the short course materials and going through other materials that we had worked on and developed. To
1: solve a very important problem. This is world-changing, guys. I really want you to hang with Richard Feynman
0: thinks that this is a very important problem.
1: I'll explain what the topic is, but you're going to have to explain Richard Feynman. Okay. We were trying to figure out whether or not you could distinguish between Tropicana orange juice, some really, really inferior English orange juice. It's
0: called heritage.
1: It's inferior <laughs> is the only description of it, and apple juice. And it turns out you can
0: Yes, so we... He... Can you
1: explain Richard Feynman, too? Because oh, nobody so, yeah. knows what Richard Feynman and Juice have to do with each other.
0: Yes, yeah, so uh, Richard Feynman's a famous Nobel Prize winner, and there is this video of him on YouTube um, playing the, the bongos, bongos and seeing all about how he has to have his orange juice. Oh, 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 orange oh, juice, I gotta have my... So, the full video is in the description of the podcast if you have to have just a little bit more of orange juice.
1: Yeah, for the record, we all know you can taste the difference between a Florida orange juice and some inferior orange juice, but we're not talking about tasting the difference.
0: Although,
1: smell is part of taste. Gustation, right? That's taste. Yeah.
0: Gustation is, is very strongly linked to olfaction, but we're getting into the, the weeds now. Um, no, as part of the uh, Scientist Exchange Program, Alphean sent about a month early. A toy data set of GCIMS, um, just a, you uh, kind of it, deal. It's not really...
1: Chemical it. sensing. Chemical it,
0: sensing that produces very high-dimensional, low-information data. Which uh-uh.
1: means...
0: Which means that it's really big, and most of it is rubbish, as they would say. Oh,
1: rubbish. That's great. Kind of Maybe I will get the accent back.
0: back. So we sent that ahead of time, and Robotical Faction as the MPCR team got together to analyze it, and figure out exactly how we wanted to look at it, and how we thought it would be most useful for Alfie and for his team to look at data of this type when they're using it, not to diagnose juice, but to diagnose like melanoma or or pancreatic cancer. So working alongside him, having an expert there that knew the hardware, but then showing him what we could do, we started to develop some really cool algorithms to not only look at what the model learned, but where the signal might be in, and how we might be able to use that for future work. Um, And then he got to take all of all of this knowledge and these, these scripts home with him and think about how he might implement them in the data analysis he does on behalf of his lab.
1: And it, this is at the point where we invited ourselves... I mean, we're invited over to <laughs> their lab?
0: Yes. So the other thing is that I, I we didn't strictly invite ourselves. There was no, the no. the invitation extended um, when I was there in Austria with the PI of the lab, James Covington. Um, he said that we... He, he welcomed us to come run our samples on his machines. Um... And so that helped spark the whole idea of let's launch the Scientist Exchange Program this summer. Everything was just falling into place. So, you know, Alvin was here for about two weeks, and then there was about a month in between um, where he got to go back and start to think about what he learned. And if he had questions, he was like, well, I'll just talk to you in a month.
1: He also got to catch up on sleep.
0: <laughs> yes, That's in his own time zone. And then we traveled to Coventry, England, which is where the University of Warwick is, to work in their biomedical sensors lab under the supervision of James Covington and Alfian.
1: It's within their school of engineering, and we are not engineers by training, practice, or any other no. measurement.
0: Just by imposter. Yeah, being... imposter
1: engineer is something yeah. I would put on my CV. <laughs> um,
0: so what did you find most useful from our travels?
1: I liked how pessimistic Dr. Covington was about... Us getting results and us proving him wrong—that was great.
0: Yeah, uh, he gave me a lot of anxiety there. He's like, "Well, you know, if there's nothing here in this one run on your second day here, you might as well just go take holiday. Like, you're not gonna get anything."
1: And then he said, "Oh, by the way, this is." Uh, he started naming dollar amounts of machines. After hearing these exorbitant sums, he then told us, "By the way, I think you broke our machine." And then he yeah, had we us worry. That we a had lot. a.
0: And then he said, oh, don't worry, we'll just like have it in a clean cycle overnight, and it'll be fine. Yeah. He could have led with that. He,
1: he didn't lead with that. He <laughs> seemed to take some pleasure in us worrying quite a bit. That that was my favorite part, because A, we had something, and we didn't <laughs> ship those substances under UN regulations <laughs> for not.
0: And we got to, it was cultural immersion, is how I'll put that.
1: Oh, my second favorite part. I picked up an English accent while I'm there. It might slip out. If I hear English phrases, I start using them again i use full stop instead of period now rubbish bin instead of garbage giveaway is a great synonym for yield if you guys are unfamiliar with these terms
0: yeah it took us yeah. about a day and a half to figure out that way out was not a geographical location but rather a way to indicate exit so
1: i figured that i just didn't, you didn't think, i didn't anything. have a problem with it our was, collective understanding
0: <laughs> took about a day and a half we navigate the bus systems, we so this was your first time out of the country, was that
1: right? Uh first time on another continent. i I've been on some boats in the Bermuda and elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You've this, been on boats. I I don't traffic things. I just enjoy fishing, I promise. <laughs> um
0: So was it a was it an enjoyable experience for you? Did you would you go back if we I had would, more samples? I
1: would love to go back. Um as long I've as not run I'm okay with running samples. Uh, if you guys are familiar with an auto sampler, it means you press go. I like machines where we can just not stand there or sit there for five or six hours making sure that the process goes correctly. I developed a deep appreciation for engineers because I realized how little I wanted to deal with most of the hardware they have.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest take-home message that we got was, wow, we're really glad to be data scientists. So now there is like, there's one data set that they had sent over to us earlier looking at seeing if we could diagnose melanoma by the quote-unquote smell of the mole. Um, and I was pretty upset because that data was disgusting. It, not like it was you know, gross or dirtier, like I would get melanoma from the data, but just it's formatted in... like horrifically, and it's not very usable from the the get-go. An
1: analogy seems appropriate here. If you asked someone to send you an email and they gave you a crayon picture, (laughs) this is a description of what that data looked like. That's
0: fantastic. Yes, it was... So I got really upset, and I I wasn't harboring any resentment towards the man from the lab who sent it to me. Sure, I wasn't. Um, Really? I, (laughs) (laughs) I had kind of a more idealistic version of what they should be able to produce with these very expensive machines and then we use that machine and i made all of the same mistakes that led to the same data and i was like i will never ever get mad at sam again he is he is a saint he's just trying his hardest so
1: so what was your favorite part about going there was it realizing that the data was not their fault <laughs> uh, was it making fun of my accent which again i thought was pretty great
0: can i do d all of the above
1: <laughs> d all of the above We <laughs> need more answers for that
0: my favorite part was I mentioned to both Kira and James, the, the PI, about a conference that's coming up in this coming May in Japan. That's the International Symposium for Olfaction and Electronic Noses. It's kind of like the, the big thing that happens.
1: Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue.
0: ISON. It doesn't. Actually.
1: It doesn't roll.
0: So I saw in their list of topics under data analysis, they put AI, deep learning. Um, and so here's the thing. When the I was, comma
1: is important, is it not?
0: Well, I mean, deep learning, and you know, if they just put AI, it sounds more like a buzzword, but deep learning is, like, they're starting to really hone in on what parts of AI they think um, could really apply and what AI really means in, in today's definition and what's what's happening and what's still kind of, like, Skynet. So I saw that, and when I had been in Austria, I, you know, was talking, all oh, deep learning this, deep learning that, like... Everyone in Austria knew that I didn't know my way around any type of sensor. They asked what sensors our lab had. They I laughed. told them, and they laughed. They said, it's not the MQ sensors, is it? Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, see, the thing is...
1: <laughs> That's their version of the crayon paper.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Austria is when I started to realize like what I can do and what I can't do, and I, I can do deep learning. And so I raised a lot of questions about why didn't you do this with deep learning? Why isn't this a model even um, considered? And when I saw the flyer for their big conference in Japan in a year, they had deep learning as one of the topics. And so I went to, to James and to Akira, and I said, I know that that's not because of me. However, I choose to believe it is, because I think that's pretty cool that I have...
1: You asked in- enough questions that they realized they didn't know?
0: That They realized, A, that they didn't know, and B, that there are people who do know, and they want to invite those people to the conversation, and when I mentioned that to Akira, because James is never going to, you know, stroke my ego ever, um, but I mentioned to a, to Akira, and I said, I know that's not because of me, but you know, I like to pretend it is. And he goes, no, I don't think you understand. Like, you raise a lot of really important questions that I do think that that's part of your influence at this, this short course in Austria with a lot of the prominent members of the field. And so that was pretty exciting for me to hear, <laughs> not only is what I'm doing potentially viable, but... But people are interested in it now.
1: We um, could run a model just on the change in octave from your voice. Were probably, you excited? We have the
0: waveforms! Oh my gosh! Who needs weekend plans? Um, no, so that was really cool to see that not only am I kind of trying desperately to cram my way into this field filled with engineers and scientists who know way more than I do about chemistry and physics and biology. And,
1: and materials research.
0: All of that. But that they think that... It We have something important to say, too. So that was my favorite part. It was a pretty humbling experience, so maybe I do have some humility after all.
1: That's not tied with my accent. I'm going to keep asking this question. I need acknowledgement here.
0: What's the question?
1: How great was my accent?
0: Oh, my. (laughs) It was a lot of fun to travel with Steven for two and a half weeks. And it was a lot (laughs) of fun to come home. So with that, I think that we've kind of covered most everything. I I could talk for days about anything, but especially about our trip. There were some highlights we didn't get to, but that's okay. We covered a lot of the important stuff, and I think we kind of explained why we slacked off on podcasts for the last three months. Right. Um.
1: I think I explained, or Michael explained, a term to you the other day, which was TLDR. (laughs) Can we just give a TLDR of everything we did? Yeah. So, sorry, we're gone. We're back. We have a short course that's going to be happening again next summer. We're also going to be collaborating with several other institutions for a scientist exchange program. So if you're interested, please do reach out to us. Traveling internationally is humbling and a lot of fun. I have a phenomenal accent. And
0: we're going to Japan. we're going to (laughs) Japan. We're back on track now. We're going to have regular podcasts again, so look out for the next one.
1: And we'll be here next time. See you later.